What's up, everyone? It's Oscar from the Better Rivals podcast. We have got a bonus episode for you this week. Being that it's Super Bowl week, we thought we'd get a little extra for you ahead of the game. We've got John Pollard. He's the head of Zebra Sports. That's the company behind NFL's next-gen stats. Uh, Apparently, they do more than just speed. Uh, They do a couple of other interesting things, and I thought it'd be good to talk to John about how they collect the data and a couple of insights that he might have into the game. So, It was a fun little discussion that I hope sheds just a bit more light on some of the next-gen stats that you'll hear about more and more as the NFL leans on them more and more. So now, the interview with John Pollard. John, how are you doing? Hey, Oscar. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm doing swimmingly. The game is getting close. Of course, I'm sure it's super busy there in Miami. I'm glad you found a nice tucked-away quiet corner for us to have just a quick conversation about some next-gen stats. I did my best, that's for sure. If there's any background noise, I apologize, but I'll try to overcome it. Awesome. Well, the first thing I'd love to hear is just a bit about how it is that you collect the data, because, of course, there's a lot of interesting numbers that you have from next-gen stats. You have speed, you've got separation for individual players, separation from quarterback. So I'm curious just a bit about the technology of how it is that you collect the data. Sure. So uh, Zebra Technologies, uh, this is the sixth year. The 2019 season was the sixth season that we've been the official on-field player tracking technology of the National Football League. And our system is implemented in all 31 NFL stadiums in the domestic U.S. Also, the, the Azteca Stadium in Mexico City, where there's one, uh, one game played per season there. And the three U.K. games also have our systems installed in the stadium. And what our system comp- is comprised of is a series of receiver boxes that are permanently installed in the perimeter of all the stadiums around uh, around the NFL. And those receiver boxes communicate with uh, tags, uh, our RFID-based tags, radio frequency identification tags, that are installed into uh, the shoulder pads of all the players. We also have an RFID tag that's melded inside the bladder of all footballs as well. So with the help of the NFL and in conjunction with Wilson Sporting Goods, we were able, our engineers were able to design a tag that weighs, uh, for the ball, that weighs about four grams, which is about 1% of the ty- entire weight of the NFL football. Now, the tags, both in the players and the ball, uh, communicate with the receivers d- during the game. And what it does is creates really interesting statistics. Some of the fundamental things are who's on the field at what time, the location on the field, the proximity of players from not only their own teammates, but their opponents as well. So you can get things like separation, as you mentioned, Oscar. Um, we measure distance traveled for a certain play or over a series of plays over a course of game. Also, accelerations and deceleration information can be captured on the player side. On the ball side, we actually record not only velocity information, which you might assume is collected by the tag, we also have uh, rotational information. So in the past, I'm sure you know, most of your listeners are familiar that we, they sometimes can talk about a quarterback who has great throwing capability as someone who can spin it. Well, we're actually able to actually gather information on the spin rate of footballs. And in addition to that, we're also finding that special teams coaches around the NFL enjoy the metrics that we're getting from the football as well because we can derive height information as well. So for punts and kicks, and as we all are aware, that you know, punts, been, punts are a really important part of the game, but we're seeing more skilled punters evolve over the last decade or so with different types of punts for different uh, scenarios where they are on, based on where they are on the field. And so our information that's collected in the, uh, from the tags helps special teams coaches and players evaluate that information. So how are you able to get something like line of scrimmage data? Because I thought one of the, the posts that was interesting from Next Gen Stats was about D Ford's quickness off the line of scrimmage. And you guys have him clocked at getting off the line of scrimmage at about 0.77 seconds with the league average for edges being about 0.87 seconds. If you've got a tracking mechanism in his shoulder pad and, and you've got something perhaps in the ball, how do you then do you define the line of scrimmage just based on where the ball is? 
Yeah, so we also have just a great question. Uh, so we also have chips in the pylons for the end zone, but also the, the first down sticks and markers on the field. Uh, also, the referees are tagged as well. Uh, so not only are the, the information that we're seeing as fans and the media uh, that we're familiar with, you'd assume we're getting doing that from the player tags, but we also have tags placed on different locations in the field. And that allows the next gen stats team at the NFL to generate analytics like you're talking about. All right. So how far away are we then from not having to use index cards to measure the distance from the ball on a first down to the sticks? Uh, Because it seems like there's a lot of scientific things about the NFL. But one of the things that is so unscientific is how they spot the ball. Uh, And you'll see the ref kind of running a squiggly line down the sideline and be like, "Uh, it's about here. Uh, (laughs) It seems like you've already got the technology to do that. We just need to kind of make it happen. Well, I, I mean, certainly I have a bias. I mean, I work for Zebra Technologies and we're a technology company, so we can get, we're very excited and very confident what our technology can uh, do for the game today and also enable in the future. Uh, what we have learned and we can really appreciate uh, being a partner with the NFL, that the league really has to be pragmatic and thoughtful as a, w- when they introduce new ideas and concepts, including technological advances into the game. The integrity of the game, uh, competitive balance, um, and, and also the, the reliability of the technology and the information that comes from systems uh, has to be evaluated. And so we have learned, you know, really working with the NFL very closely to appreciate the pragmatism and the consideration that they have to take and when they bring new ideas into the game. From a technological perspective, we're very close to being able to do something like that. But based on competition committee, the feeling of the owners and the executive leadership of the NFL, they're evaluating opportunities like that in the future. And perhaps we'll see that very soon. Now, before we get into some of the, the things about the game, I did have one more question about how you generate your data, because it's, it's interesting to me, the, the separation numbers. When you're talking about things like throwing in a tight coverage, one yard or less of separation, how, if the chip is in the shoulder of the individual, how are you able to, is it just basically distance from chip to chip when you're talking about players? How really, and I'm sure you've got like models and whatnot that are going to tell you the true distance, but is it really just chip to chip that you're looking at in terms of measuring the distance or is there something else that gives you a true distance from individual to individual to measure separation? Yeah, there's modeling and calculations that are that are figured out by the NFL Next Gen Stats team. And we at Zebra Technologies as the partner with the enabling capabilities of the technology. We do work in conjunction with the league to look at different statistics and analytics uh, from the output of our system. How they actually do the calculation itself, that's probably a question better uh, suited for the league itself and how they round that information out. Okay, interesting. So it sounds like you guys then provide the data and, and then the NFL has some either data scientists or some other statisticians that actually model out what the actual distance is if there's some kind of, you know, kind of post-data calculation or transformation. That, that's correct. And, and I should say this, Oscar, as well. In, in addition to uh, having our system implemented in all the NFL stadiums in the U.S. and in the interna- for the international series games, uh, we also have an ancillary business channel where we put up this, an analogous system into training facilities. Uh, for almost a third of the league, teams are using our system to train uh, to monitor their players during practices, preseason games, over the course of a season, and they're tracking that for return to play protocol. Uh, player development and assessment. Think about a college player during a rookie season. They're used to 12-game schedule. So what's the workload on these players throughout an entire season to ensure that they're maximally able to perform on a, on a week weekend and also available throughout the entire season? All right, so let's jump into the game then because it is going to be a, a pretty wild game. You know, we did a preview a couple days ago and we predicted a, a high-scoring game that was going to really rely on on the quarterbacks and the performance thereof. I'm curious, what is the element that you think is most interesting or fascinating? And if you have 
any of the the next gen stats at your disposal to, to help illustrate the point. Yeah, so I, I, there are a couple of things, and and this was uh, I do a lot of analysis of games, and this game to your, to your point, Oscar, it, I kept flip flopping in my head which team's more poised poised to win this game. It, it's just going to be a great matchup, and that seems you know like a very general thing to say, but it's so true. Uh, the first thing is just talking about speed. So of course our chips are t- uh, monitoring how fast players go during the uh, during a play. Um, the Chiefs and the Niners are one and two in average for top speed for ball carries in the 20, 20, 2019 season. So amongst all NFL teams, we are literally looking at the two fastest teams based on their skill position players when they have the balls in their hands. Um, Raheem Mostart and, and Matt Breda were uh, two of the fastest running backs in the entire NFL. And that pair reached uh, at least 15 miles per hour and almost 30% or 29% of their carries in the 2019 season. And those two players only trailed Dalvin, Dalvin Cook of the Vikings, who had 30% of his carries at 15 miles per hour. Um, uh, for the Chiefs, uh, of the top three, uh, top 20 speeds recorded by next-gen stats, McCole Hardman recorded two of the top 20 speeds at both 21.9 miles per hour and 21.7 miles an hour. And Sammy Watkins had a, a recording of 21.3 miles an hour. So, in fact, the speed of these teams is relevant, and it's also pertinent, and it's, we have now have empirical data to reference. Um, I w- would want, want to talk about how speed turns into something uh, from an analytical perspective. And what we have found over the years in working with this tracking information, when you associate it to typical statistics of, and categories of metrics that we're used to hearing, like yards after catch and explosive plays, it brings a little more fidelity to the tracking data. So in terms of speed, in the playoffs, we talked about how, how fast both teams are in terms of their skill positions and ball carriers being one and two in the league for the 2019 season. That carried over to the playoffs. The top 12 speeds recorded in the playoffs to date, seven of, uh, seven of those top speeds were recorded by either Niners or, K- or Kansas City Chiefs players, which is interesting. Also, as I'm sure you can assume, speed translates to opportunities like yards after catch and the uh, potential for explosive pass plays, which we define as 20 plus yards. Also speed can lend the opportunity for receivers to create greater separation from defenders. The Chiefs ranked second in total yak uh, for the, in the league at 2,326 2, yards. And the Niners ranked fifth in the league and 2,282 uh, 2, yak, yak yards created. Um, so that's interesting to us. Uh, the Niners ranked second in the league in run plays of 10-plus yards during the 2019 season, while the Chiefs ranked uh, much lower at 17th um, in terms of run plays of 10-plus yards. And the Niners were also second in the league in yards after catch as a percentage of total passing yards. So, in essence, the Niners like Niners players typically throw shorter passes down field and let players like George Kittle and his athleticism and strength capability to uh, to extend plays. So, again, we have the information in terms of a traditional statistical category and yards after catch, and then we can place the speed information to it too, which provides a little bit more dimensionality of the numbers. Now, those are really explanatory stats. They kind of tell us what happened and, and tell us that you know speed is valuable in the game and it can be you know light, linked to yak and stuff like that. It seems intuitive, makes sense. Have you worked on anything that's, yep. that's turned those into predictive or you know kind of stats that will tell us what can happen next? In other words, teams that are faster generally win more games or have more explosive plays in year n plus one or plays n plus one. Yeah, I think I think that leads into a category of information that I like looking at, and that's the efficiency rate uh, regarding running backs. And the efficiency is uh, efficiency number is the total amount of distance traveled by a ball carrier to gain one positive yard. 
And I noticed, in, so a lower number, a lower number in that category would mean would suggest that that player is more of a downhill uh, runner, as we've heard, you know, described over the years. Um, and Raheem Moster um, is on the top of that list of all players in the running back area for the Niners in terms of efficiency. Um, he's been a downhill num- uh, runner, and he also has speed. Uh, so he's efficient in his running, and he has great speed. The other uh, information, so I think that is something that when we talk to coaches, when they're developing game plans and trying to sell that game plan to their teams, it, it helps them to have this type, these types of numbers to help validate the assessment and, and the strategy itself. It helps drive the point home to the players why they're doing certain types of preparation, why they're creating certain schemes to, to combat against players like that. So in those cases, I think that's where the efficiency number has allowed coaches to say, yeah, he's a downhill runner. Well, here's the numbers to prove it, to prove it. And that's interesting. So speed is going to be a big element in the game, you know, and I'm worried or I'm wondering if you think there's anything that's being underrated in this game, whether it be a player or an element that's just not being talked about a lot, but you think is going to be pretty important in the game. Well, I think I think when I, as I look at the numbers, Oscar, uh, it may seem self-evident and, and the numbers do suggest this. The, the, the Niners are front four. They get significant amount of pressure with four four defensive rushers. And so we, w- we would expect them to create some type of pressure on Pat Mahomes. But as, we, as we've seen, particularly in the playoffs, when he's flushed out of the pocket, he becomes almost more dangerous because he can extend the play with his leg capability. And when he, when he extends a play, he's still a threat to do two things, run or pass. And if he passes, he's looking way downfield typically. His average, his average pass attempts when flushed are very, very high uh, compared to the average in the, in the league. So, you know, for the Niners defensive front four, yes, they're athletic. Yes, they're athletic. Yes, we would expect them to get pressure, but can they also do the do the work that they do so well and contain Pat Mahomes to make sure that he doesn't get outside the pocket and create those explosive plays? There were some numbers regarding Pat Mahomes in the regular season. His average time to throw, uh, based on the numbers derived by the chip in the ball and also in the shoulder pads, um, his time to throw was 2.8 seconds per throw during the regular season. That was extended to 3.1 um, seconds uh, in the playoffs. And now that may not seem like a lot, but a half a second of extra time, that is indicative of Pat extending plays with his legs and looking downfield for opportunities. And when we look at the total percentage of pass yards for Pat Mahomes, he has a higher percentage of his pass yards made downfield. So his air yards attempts are longer downfield than typically there's something like Jimmy Garoppolo would throw uh, down the field. So that's something that's interesting to look 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 forward to. Can the Niners get pressure with four? I would suspect we'll have some success doing that. But not only pressure, can they contain him and make sure that he does not extend plays with his legs? Has there been a through line from defenses that have been able to kind of contain the Chiefs offense? Because there, there haven't been a ton of defenses that have really been able to stop a healthy Patrick Mahomes. But there have been some teams that have been that have limited him. So you get, you look at the New England Patriots, you look at the San Diego Chargers, uh, and even the Colts to a certain degree. Although that's where where Mahomes really was mm-hmm. injured. Is there anything that you've seen in the numbers that you've looked at that would indicate you know what all these teams did this thing and that seemed to have some kind of an impact on that Chiefs offense? Yeah, I, I think it's the deep ball opportunity, and this, this is truly a strength versus strength uh, some uh, situation to look at on Sunday. So Pat Mahomes led the NFL in deep passing TDs um, and deep passing yards in 2019. Again, deep passing uh, attempts being categorized as 20 yards or more in the air. He had 25 TDs and 2,317 passing yards in that category. Now, the Niners defense, 
was first in the league in in allow in uh, deep pass plays allowed. So they only allowed neat, uh, nine deep pass receptions for the entire season. And the completion percentage on on deep pass attempts against the opponents was twenty. They held their opponents to twenty percent completion percentage. So I think that is an area to look at in, in those opportunities, which we can assume, or we, it's it's fair to assume that Pat Mahomes will try some deep ball opportunities. Will that will that forty nine ers defense, you know, meet the same level of execution they had during the regular season? And if so, is that going to create a turnover opportunity? When, as we all know, that could tra- that could change the entire momentum of the game. Uh, so I think that's something to look at. Is that deep? When Pat goes deep, are the Niners still going to be, you know, stalwarts in that deep passing opportunity? If you take the deep ball away from them, it'll be interesting to see how the, the Chiefs try to combat that. But I think that plays more to the strength of the 49ers if they, if they limit deep pass opportunities. Yeah, you know, that defensive structure really is built to limit that deep pass. And, and that's kind of what the Chiefs did. The Chiefs basically didn't, the, the, what they try to do is just remove those big explosive plays, rally, tackle. Um, and, and that's what you get with the defense that plays sound football within their structure. And right. that, that's the hope. I think that's exactly what the Niners are going to do. And, and when you get you, you, you can you can't stop. Them. You can only hope to contain them. But hopefully they can contain them enough because, you know, you talk about the Chiefs explosive plays. But we talked a lot about the Niners explosive plays in our preview and how they, they lead the league in explosive plays when you combine both run and pass. Um, and if they can right. both hold the ball, get some chunk plays, um, I think they, they have a, a chance to, to win this game. So. I'm curious, you know, you said that you, you looked at it, you went back and forth. Uh, I'm going to pin you down here. W- what do you think is going to happen in this game, and who do you think wins? Oh, gosh, you are trying to pin me down. I, I'm, I'm landing on some conversations I had today. I'm landing on the 49ers uh, to, 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 pull, to pull this out. And, I, and I, I look at it this way in general. And this isn't meant to be a slight to the Kansas City. I just think, and I'll, if I may, I'll get a little just, you know, riffing with you here. Um, I think about baseball, so I'm a sports fan in baseball too, and, and, and good pitching is, is really a weapon in playoff baseball, right? Good pitching beats offense. The Niners have a wonderful offense and a strong running game, and they have an incredible athleticism on the defensive side of the ball. So I think they're a little more balanced on both sides of the ball. I, I took to me that deep passing piece, that, that the strength of the Niners' defense and limiting the deep pass uh, I, I think it just gives them a little bit more of an edge on Sunday. I do expect a fairly close game. I, I, I do expect if a team's down, you know, we've, we've seen what happens when Kansas City's down a couple of touchdowns. It doesn't mean much. In the, it hasn't lost a couple of games anyway. I think this game could have some a couple of significant swings, um, so, but I do think the Niners do you know, eke it out at the end, and I think it's you know ba- based on a defensive capability, and, and I do expect them to maybe create a couple a turnover or two. Well, I, as a Niner fan, love that outcome. Uh, and I wanted to thank you for your time for coming on. I know you've got a lot of radio spots to hit, so I'll, I'll let you go. But one thing that we like to ask all of our guests here on the Better Rivals podcast is because I'm not just a lover of football. I'm also a lover of cheeseburgers. Uh, so I'm curious what your favorite cheeseburger that you've, that you've had uh, out in the world uh, may be. I'm, I'm creating a list. Yeah, I don't, I don't know that I can name a, a specific place uh there's a couple places i've had around the country uh with, with cheeseburgers but i love a good cheeseburger that has a fried egg on top i i just can't get enough of that i think you put a fried egg on a burger it's 10 times on a brioche bun uh and it's served on a kind of a, a plate that's more that the stone kind of slate plate that's my favorite cheeseburger right there as now that you say that i'm getting really hungry yeah definitely go get one you know if you do like fried egg on a burger i can't uh, i 
fans who listen to the podcast will know uh, I speak about this place often. Go to Ashaval in Chicago. They have a fantastic burger. Ocheval. And you can, uh, yeah, Ashaval. It means horse, but it's not horse meat. Don't don't get don't be alarmed. Uh, but they do have egg <laughs> well, our on top zebra's of the headquarters is in Lincolnshire in Chicago, and I'll make my way there. I promise. I appreciate the the advice. Oh yes, you definitely <laughs> should. Well, John, thanks so much for your time. I appreciate it. Uh, thank you, Oscar. I appreciate the questions. Enjoy the game.